0: Welcome to Infrastructure for a Better Future, a series where we have honest conversations about the infrastructure challenges we are facing and how we can build a better Aotearoa. In each episode, we talk to experts from here and overseas about what works when it comes to addressing these issues.
1: Kia ora, welcome to our Infrastructure for a Better Future podcast series. In this episode, we speak to Roger Fairclough from the New Zealand Lifelines Council. Hi, Roger. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Um, So, Aotearoa New Zealand's critical infrastructure national vulnerability assessment. This is a report that's just come out from the Lifelines Council. And it's quite timely, I guess. We've had a year with quite a lot of um, natural disasters, Uh, seen East Coast, Auckland, Nelson. Um, in one sense, I guess we shouldn't be we shouldn't be surprised. These, are, these aren't unexpected things in New Zealand. Um, I think New Zealand was was recently rated second highest natural disaster loss risk in the world. Is that, is that right, Roger? Yes, it
0: is, Simon. And good afternoon. Um, and uh, let's say we as the New Zealand Lifelines Council have always promoted the concept of improving our infrastructure resilience and uh, a little along the lines you've just touched on um, we continue to have natural hazard events and there's potential for other events and uh, so not to be certainly not unexpected Uh, every event is slightly different (laughs) in its characteristics and uh, and obviously in terms of how infrastructure responds that plays out differently as well but essentially uh this is something that we've been promoting since our inception and one of our key uh products let's say is this national infrastructure vulnerability assessment
1: so lifeline utilities roger tell me what what are lifeline utilities and people also talk about critical infrastructure what's what's the difference
0: yeah very good very good question and uh we quite often having, have to find ourselves, um, let's say up until recently, we quite often sort of uh, added the word utilities to lifelines um, because obviously lifelines has a number of other, other connotations. In New Zealand, the term lifelines is something that uh, comes through our civil defence and emergency management sort of frameworks. And lifelines are defined under the current um, CDM Act from 2002 as energy, transport, telecommunications, and water service providers. Um, What is changing though is that uh, internationally there are many jurisdictions who are moving to the terminology of critical infrastructure, and uh, New Zealand is in the process of shifting in that direction as well, and we have a number of elements of legislation coming through the system. where the term critical infrastructure will uh, gain greater traction. Um, One of the other aspects, though, that that will lead to is, what do we mean by critical infrastructure? Will it still be the energy transport, telecommunications and water? Um, And the simple answer to that is that is up for discussion, Um, but more than likely it will broaden in its scope. And uh, we've sort of put the foot put forward and suggested that flood protection, um, financial payment systems and fast moving consumer goods could, for example, be also included in critical infrastructure.
1: So this, this report that we've got, the National Vulnerability Assessment, was first published in 2017. Then I understand there was an updated version in 2020, so now this is a revised version again. What's what are the difference? Where where are we now compared to the 2020 version? What does the what does the 2023 one add to it? Yes, yeah,
0: very good question. And uh, very deliberately, this is structured along the lines of doing an update every two. Three, we aim for two years, but in reality, it plays out more like three. Uh, so 2017, 2020, now 2023. Um, And each time uh, we kind of develop the thinking, Um, and I shouldn't really just refer to us either, because the whole product is uh, reliant on quite a number of conversations with many, many parties. Um, Some of those are direct infrastructure providers, some of them are government agencies, some of them are in the sort of research academic area, and so on and so forth. And so each time we we kind of refine it, uh, we feel as though we're improving it as we go. Um, And in this particular uh, uh, upgrade from 2020, uh, one, we've kind of uh, expanded the definitions of critical infrastructure pretty much as we've discussed. Um, we've also added uh, more context and content uh, related to climate change impacts and the exacerbation of natural hazards, particularly on infrastructure. Um, but probably the most important change is that we have oriented it more to communities and customers of infrastructure, because we our view is that communities and customers can contribute um, con- considerably more to improving overall infrastructure resilience. So included in that are aspects like raising awareness for customers and so on around their, vul- their vulnerabilities to outages, um, encouraging infrastructure providers to be more transparent around what are the hazards that they face and uh, what are the potential outages, and but and and also put greater focus on something that we're really passionate about, which is let's consider the interdependencies of infrastructure a lot more than what we have in the past. Um, As Cyclone Gabriel Gabriel has clearly demonstrated, um, almost all our infrastructure is reliant on another part of infrastructure in order to operate, in order to respond to events, and, and so on.
1: So, um, so raising awareness, you, you say, Roger? Um, raising awareness of of consumers and customers. Ex- expand on that a little. what sort of awareness, and and how and where?
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, let's say as a little bit of a demonstration, I quite often use the example of a fish and chip shop. If I was a fish and chip shop owner in a suburban environment, uh, anywhere here in New Zealand. What are the elements of infrastructure that I'm rely on r- reliant on? And uh, and pretty quickly you get to a view you need everything. You need the tele- you need the internet, you need the telecommunications capability. You need the energy supply and both electricity, probably gas um, and and so on. So uh, every element of infrastructure you are probably reliant on. When you look at those and uh, ask the question though, if there was an event like an earthquake, like a flood, like a volcanic event, um, how fast can each one of those services either, they can either maintain their service delivery, um, but if they lose the, the service delivery, then how long is it gonna take for each one of those to be able to reinstate service? Because I, the fish and chip shop owner, actually need them all, there in order to operate at all and um when you get to that level of consideration you start finding very quickly that some will can be reinstated very fast and others will take considerably longer Um, it is playing out with cyclone gabriel um, but every event that we uh uh, we participate in we. we have the same element that not everything can recover at the same time. Where that leads to is that uh, right now we aren't really actively prioritising which parts of infrastructure are most important or will take the longest time to reinstate service um, and therefore would deserve, let's say, earlier investment or greater investment. In terms of re, um, reducing the time to recovery, that's the mechanism that we would love to see uh, more broadly examined. Um, and our recommendations, suggestions in our report, are that we uh, ideally this be undertaken on a regional level or at a regional level, um, and what we call uh, in, uh, regional resilience um, business cases, uh, re- resilience improvement business cases. Uh,
1: Positive. So, so who's responsible for developing these regional resilience business cases?
0: Yeah, part, this is part of the problem I, uh, that we have. Um, the only precedent at this point in time is one undertaken here in the Wellington region, um, and uh, that was undertaken around 2019. Um, it had certain constraints, um, not the least of which is the budgetary availability. Um, and at the end of the day, despite their ambition being they would look at all natural hazards in this consideration, they could only look at earthquake. And They came up uh, along the lines of what I've just talked about with you know how, how many days does it take to reinstate gas? How many days to, does it take to reinstate electricity under a major earthquake event? Um, in order to do this further though in other regions, um, it would be uh, fundamentally there is not a funding pathway that enables that to be undertaken. Certainly, our regional lifelines groups would be very, very keen to, for these to be undertaken and to even to lead them. But right now, there isn't the funding mechanism to be able to do that. Um, we believe that uh, if uh, the, these progressed further, then we could um, at a regional level and at a national level be in a much better state to be prioritising uh, investments across the infrastructure um, and enabling the community to be more um, contributing to overall resilience.
1: So when you say the community to be contributing, is, is that... Um a certain amount of individual responsibility. I've got to make sure I've got 20 litres of water sitting in my back cupboard so that I can kind of have drinking water for the first few days. I guess there's also a, a council level or a supplier level of resilience that needs to be built in, is that right?
0: Yeah, to- totally correct. Um, at, the, at the individual level, individual residence level, it is absolutely correct that we need to be more prepared um, infrastructure cannot. Infrastructure providers cannot guarantee delivery of service at all times. There will, there's bound to be events that happen that we haven't even thought about yet, um, and uh, there could be interruptions in supply merely because of a technical failure or some road accident that takes out, um, you know, a power pole or something that takes out telecommunications. Um, so there are any number of hazards that, let's say, could interrupt supply. So yes, at the individual level, the individual household level, absolutely correct. Um, at the more the uh, community cluster level, there are ability, there is potential for clusters, for example, around school communities and so on to be uh, more self-sufficient. Some of our more remote communities, we could enable them to be more self-sufficient with, for example, solar and battery configurations, and so on. Um, and then when you get to the kind of broader community level, this is where um, community pressure, community willingness to pay, and all those sorts of things contribute to where are our priorities for investment. Um, But also I think it's appropriate here to add we cannot add resilience by just keeping on building. We actually need to work with uh, many of the assets that we already have. Um, um, And for most of us in our lifetimes, any infrastructure we'll uh, be reliant on already exists. um, And it's how we use it better, how we how we understand it better um, can only help. In terms of adding to resilience
1: and infrastructure providers being more open um, about the level of service, That's, this is all part of the part of this picture and the business case you're talking about.
0: That's right. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, and I'll just add a wee bit to that. Um, men, for many of our infrastructure providers, their biggest customers are actually other infrastructure providers. And so, um, uh, for example, uh, telecommunications um, customers, uh, 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 well, I'll use uh, telecommunications and and energy suppliers. The energy suppliers are reliant on telecommunications. Telecommunications is reliant on energy. So that's what I'm touching on, that um, uh, these interdependencies We need infrastructure providers to be talking to each other in the first instance in terms of understanding their dependencies, um, but also each one understanding the vulnerabilities of the other one. And um, it's only then that they can start thinking, well, if this road is going to be out, um, I can't get my people in, I can't get my supplies in, in order to do a repair until that road is fixed, or I have alternate means, for example, being able to helicopter um, people and materials. In. And then you become reliant on, are there helicopters?
1: <laughs> good point, good point. It's, um, and that's something we saw in, well, it's something that we see in all natural hazards, natural disasters, but we did see it particularly in the Tarafati Oaks Bay example.
0: Totally, um, yeah, totally agree. and uh, i'm I'm certainly participating in some of the yeah uh, yeah briefings following Gabriel and it's coming out almost every conversation. Uh, people expected access to certain resources, um, and they weren't available for a myriad of reasons.
1: Why do you think that surprises us given given that we're the second highest disaster loss risk in the world, why why, Is this a surprise?
0: Yeah, well, that's a very, very good question, and we continue to ask ourselves, but um, it shouldn't be a surprise. Um, But we do not, uh, 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 let's say, um, it would be really, really beneficial for all of us to sort of sit back and think, well, yes, we live in a hazardous country. Um, How should we, could we, Um, better understand what that means in terms of, uh, you know, uh, our our operations, our positioning for the future, um, where do we locate our population, and so on and so forth. The sheer reality is as we add people, we add assets, and they they, um, inevitably will be in vulnerable locations. Um, That is New Zealand. (laughs) <laughs> and so, therefore, how do we work with it? Um, the other bit I'd add is that uh, the experience, the recent experiences further highlight that um, we need to be asking questions. It's not good enough to just say, I've got a contract for a helicopter to be available for servicing this um, asset. Who else has access to exactly that same asset with the, with that same helicopter, with the same presumption? <laughs> um, and uh, I think that's kind of what played out in Gabriel, but does play out in numerous of these events.
1: Another thing I think that played out in Gabriel was and in the Auckland such floods as well, highlighted the um, the resilience levels. Now a lot of our infrastructure is planned at a one in 100 year flood event, for example, flood. Um, But I guess you'd say uh, some places, one in 500 year, would we want some critical infrastructure to be a higher level or even higher than that?
0: Yeah, yeah, and th- this is uh, along the lines of um, where we are pointing, and that um, when you look nationally across all the infrastructure, there are certain what we term pinch points. So this is within a network, there are kind of constraints on that network, um, and um, uh, and uh, so that's that's a pinch point. What we also use is the term hotspots, and this is where we have quite a number of elements of infrastructure geographically within quite a confined area. And uh, one of the best examples is around our Wellington inter-island ferry terminal, whereas uh, where I'd say we've got every element of infrastructure there except an airport. We've got gas, we've got electricity, we've got telecommunications and so on and so forth all in a very confined space. Other hotspots are, for example, the Kawara Gorge through to Queenstown. That's carrying a number of pathways of infrastructure. Um, The Auckland Harbour Bridge is another one. And so it's when you get to this understanding of uh, where we have hotspots and where we have pinch points, that those particular locations could warrant higher levels of Resilience in terms of uh, to to natural hazard events, um, and that could demand a bit more um, investment. In, uh, an example um, in the building sector is that we do have buildings with different different importance levels, and that in itself is a reflection of what the demands on the asset could be, um, and there and it's built to a higher seismic resilience. So we already do it in some areas uh, and and on some and in some asset classes, um, but we could certainly do more of that.
1: Do you think we're are we sort of still in the the early stages of of maturity in our um, thinking like about resilience at a at a national level, or, or are we quite advanced in it at the moment?
0: I'd say somewhere half halfway between. <laughs> um, there are a number of us that feel as though we've been pushing this uh, uh, message of improving infrastructure resilience for decades now. And uh, and it is very pleasing to see some of the uh, references being made, uh, the apparent greater acknowledgement, uh, particularly this year following the, the events. But it's, it's not actually a great state to be in where we need events to highlight this. So, it, there is a level of frustration that persists. Um, and until we start seeing uh, material sort of benefits and gains and um, undertakings like these regional resilience business cases, um, we continue to be a little bit cynical, I suppose, in terms of our ability to really make progress in this space. Um, so, yeah, as I say, somewhere in the middle. Uh, But, you know, having said that, I'll always say New Zealand is pretty resilient already. What we are talking about is adding to our resilience and getting better and better and better and a bit more, uh, giving more acknowledgement to the hazardous environment that we actually all live in here in New Zealand. Our reflection would be in most cases when we're responding, it's almost like a knee jerk. Well, this is new. Uh, um, You know, we have to start from scratch again. We have to establish some sort of new framework for addressing uh, uh, things for recovery. Whereas we would say where we we would like to be, where we should be, is that we are fully prepared. We have arrangements in place that automatically kick in when events occurred. Um, We have a, a very high level of understanding already of where the vulnerabilities are likely to be pre-event and we actually in every region have pre-planning that says well when we do have to repair this bridge this is how we repair it to be more resilient as opposed to the current state where event happens oh dear um, what do we do now and over six months to, to kind of get your head around things and then years and years to actually recover. That's that's really the um, ambition, I guess, that we many of us have, and, and uh, yeah, that we we need uh, we we can't do it on our own. It needs to be a full community effort.
1: It sounds like it's a good place to stop. I'm certainly going to read the report now. Thank, Thank you very much, Roger. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening. Find out more about the work Te Waihanga is doing to transform infrastructure in Aotearoa at tewaihanga.govt.nz.